0: This episode is brought to you by MatSing. Does your venue need a high-capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that MatSing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally, with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues? Contact MatSing at Matsing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. This episode is also brought to you by Extonet Systems. Connecting customers quickly, securely, and reliably to networks and solutions is more crucial than ever. Extinet Systems powers the networks that make buildings run, with secure 5G and fiber neutral host solutions found in thousands of locations, relied upon by some of the largest sports and entertainment venues in the country, with services that include infrastructure, indoor-outdoor mobility. Private wireless networks and enterprise connectivity, Extinet provides businesses with what they need to thrive. Visit extinet.com to learn more. That's extene com. Sports stadiums and large public venues come in all shapes and sizes. Some have domes, some have natural grass fields, Some have banked concrete ovals where cars drive fast. While no two stadiums may be perfectly alike, there's one thing that all stadiums today have in common, a reliance on technology. This is the Stadium Tech Report podcast, where we talk to people on both ends of the stadium technology equation, including the stadium technology teams who deploy it and use it, and the vendors and service providers who supply it. I'm Paul Kapuska, editor of the Stadium Tech Report and your host, on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. As the oldest stadium in Major League Baseball, the Boston Red Sox Fenway Park is a beloved icon, especially for its architectural quirks, like the green monster wall in left field. While endearing and intriguing, those same construction elements, some dating back to the park's opening in 1912, also make it extremely challenging to deploy modern wireless technology. Listen in as we talk to Randy George, Vice President of Technology Operations for the Boston Red Sox, about how the team overcame those construction and aesthetic challenges to provide fans with a cutting-edge Wi-Fi 6 network that enables the connectivity experience fans now expect everywhere they go. Welcome, Randy George, to the Stadium Tech Report podcast. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. Yeah, nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. Today, we want to talk about the new Wi-Fi network from Extreme Networks. I believe it's the first one done in their you know, uh, concert. But why don't you uh, tell us what, what has happened in you know, the past year? Yeah, I mean,
1: this has actually been kind of a two-year journey um, on our AX deployment here at Fenway. And, and thankfully, we kind of started this process pre-COVID. So we've been really fortunate, you know, with all these crazy supply chain issues that all the other clubs have been sort of dealing with in at least one way or another, you know, to kind of like get in the pipeline before all that craziness happened. Right. You know, so we started, yeah. phase. you know, it was kind of like a three phase uh, deployment here, Paul. Like phase one was just kind of, you know, just rip and replace the existing deployment here at Fenway. Phase two kind of started after all-star break of 2020, which was kind of more focused in center field and layering in the underseat elements of the deployment. And then phase three was kind of adding Wi Fi and coverage in the new spaces that we constructed at Fenway, the Bleacher Overlook, the 521 Club, uh, and the MGM Music Hall. So it's been really kind of like a
0: two year journey and we just finished uh, just recently. That's great. What I'd like to do is maybe back up a little bit. Sure. Just because I think since I've been doing this, you know, it seemed like Fenway uh, was one of the earliest actually to, you know, try to put um, Wi Fi in the ballpark. And yep. I'm not sure that you would ever characterize it as maybe being fully caught up with where the devices were or the challenges. I mean, it it just seems like this may be like the biggest, best the the implementation you really wanted to have done there.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. We, um, oh god, I mean, I've been here 21 years, so I've been so lucky to kind of like turn the environment over multiple times, you know, and be here at the during the first. Iteration of Wi-Fi here, which is kind of like back in 2004. I guess now that I think back on it, which was a Cisco deployment. It was very small. You know, it was very sort of like focused on access control, media, you know, clubhouse. And then our first real full stadium deployment was kind of in the 2005-2006, and that was ironically our, our first Extreme deployment. So that was the old Extreme uh, WM controller. It was like a 300 AP deployment. We had a blue socket guest access gateway in front for messaging and signage and <laughs> um, and that was that was really kind of our first, you know, like f- almost whole park deployment. You know, and then after that, we joined the MLB Wi-Fi Consortium in 2015. And then right. the last iteration started in 19 here.
0: The one thing I know about Fenway, or I'm just guessing, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I'm right in guessing about this, is that like some of the older ballparks. And I know I've been in Wrigley when they were doing some new deployments there. Yeah. there's a huge construction challenge, correct? I mean, yeah. that ballpark has been <laughs> built and added on so many different ways in so many different times. I mean, can you talk a little bit about some of those challenges? I mean, it, it just seems like... There, this may be extremely unique when it comes to standards. Yeah, no, it's like, it's, it is it is an interesting
1: place to manage technology in, you know, just insofar as, you know, like, like really, you are kind of on the National Register of Historic Places, you know, and what comes with that is a lot of sort of like, you know, regulatory hurdles for hanging security cameras and access points and DAS and You know, we need to be very careful about where we place technology relative to some of the original structures built here, you know, like way back in 1912. And, you know, even in the 20s and 30s, historical folks are very uh, attuned, you know, to us placing technology on those structures. You know, and there's three different kind of like regulatory bodies that we tend to kind of need to engage with. Maybe not so much nowadays, but 10 years ago, we needed to vet a lot of what we did on the technology front with the Boston Landmarks Commission, the Mass Historical Commission, National Park Service, like those three regulatory bodies, you know, we had to create like a compendium of sort of like as built and documentation, you know, in order to kind of get approvals. And now, you know, the um the approvals aren't really so stringent, but that they still exist. You know, so there's there are some there are some structures and steel work and other things in the park that we have to kind of like stay away from. It does make covering the stadium with whole park Wi-Fi a little bit harder than it would definitely would be at a newer park, but we're we've become you know pretty good at working around some of those those hurdles and limitations.
0: That's great. Can, can you talk yep. a little bit too maybe about the the latest partnership with MLB and bringing Extreme you know back into the equation? I, I know they have a long history with the NFL. You yep. know, I believe they have twelve stadiums there, and, and I, I'm curious if you you guys had any input from. You know, your neighbors down in Foxborough, the Patriots. Because- yeah, no,
1: believe me. We actually prior to MLB entering into the league relationship with Extreme, we were we were planning to engage with Extreme. So we did, we did go down to to Gillette to see our friends down there and look at their their Extreme deployment. We learned a lot from what they did, I and mean, we were you know we were sort of into the sales pipeline with them before the Lee relationship came into place. You know, and again, like we had them back in 2005, So we were very right. comfortable with the platform. We went to Maru after that because I think Extreme was OEMing Chandry at the time that we had to make a decision. And so, you know, we Extreme wasn't really sort of necessarily in play for Wi-Fi. So we ended up moving to refreshes in Maru before we came back to Extreme during this last cycle here. I mean, great timing,
0: right, for For them to yeah.
1: strike the deal. No, no, it was great. Yeah, And like, you know, Wes Duro. I don't know if you know him. He was a former CMO of Mitel, and Mitel was a partner of the Red Sox. And, you know, at the time we were starting discussions with Extreme, they were very early stage, you know. So we were just kind of getting to the point where we we're just establishing some, like, trust and rapport with that team. You know, we caught wind that, that Wes was moving to Extreme as their CMO. Which was like, we were just high-fiving because we knew we had someone, you know, at a very high level of the company that we can trust and and advocate for us. I knew kind of like shortly thereafter, given Wes's background with MLB, that he sort of had designs on advancing the, the formal relationship with MLB. You know, so I sort of like had a feeling they would eventually displace Cisco potentially. Mm-hmm. It was a preferred Wi-Fi provider. So we were like, you know, we were all in with Cisco before that league relationship came together. But once we knew West sort of landed extreme, kind of like breathed a sigh of relief a little bit, you
0: know, knowing that we'd be in good hands. And they seem to have really, you know, over the past few years, even especially with the move to Wi-Fi 6, you know, I've been yep. pretty impressed with their their designs and they have the new... Designed specifically for undersea, you know, it seems like it's 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 real next generation stuff. Are, are you?
1: Yeah, their APs are purpose built, and they they look, you know, they're they're good looking too. You know, as far as like undersea APs go. Yes. You know, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like you know, undersea Wi-Fi at a venue like this has always been very very controversial. Extreme deserves a lot of credit for bringing to the plate sort of like a form factor that we could digest and ultimately kind of like at least begrudgingly approve.
0: <laughs> you know. Coming up, Randy tells us about how his team overcame both construction challenges as well as internal resistance to bring solid coverage to the Fenway bleachers. More from Randy George after the break. This episode is brought to you by MatSing. Does your venue need a high capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that MatSing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues. Contact Matzing at Matsing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. If you like our show, why not take a minute now to subscribe to make sure you don't miss another great episode. Simply go wherever you look for fine podcasts and search for Stadium Tech Report. We can be found on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on SoundCloud. You should also visit our website at stadiumtechreport.com and sign up for our email newsletter, where you will find links to all our past podcast episodes, as well as all the breaking news, analysis, and commentary that will tell you all you ever need to know about the Stadium Technology Marketplace. Internal resistance seems to be a big thing in some of the uh, maybe older parks, even places like um, out in San Francisco, at yep. what's you know, now yep. called Oracle Park. There was yep. when they wanted to go under seat and they were one of the first, I think, to really deploy it. You know, they mm-hmm. had people wondering, like, is this going to, you know, fry my butt when I'm sitting there? Is this going to, yeah. you know, yeah. what happens when they spill a beer? I'm just curious. Did you have that, too, from different parts of the organization?
1: Yeah, the um, our facilities folks, because this conversation wasn't new, Paul. You know, so like during the last two iterations of Wi-Fi here, we did try and shoot for under seat, you know, was shot down both times. Um, And we've always been sort of like, you know, left to just, you know, transport signal overhead, you know, which hasn't been optimal. The problem that we had this go around is the center field bleachers. They're really, you know, and this is like, this is kind of common in other ballparks that are like, you know, 45,000 seat plus, but there really are no kind of like overhead assets to mount to to get signal relatively close to the fan. You know, we kinda had pretty strict design requirements to kinda get at least within like you know, like seventy five feet or so, you know, right. in every fan in the park, you know, with an AP. And there's no way we could have done that in center field. We were able to position this as like, you know, we're just like MLB and extreme, you know, they're they're investing in this park by way of the Wi-Fi consortium. We're effectively getting this asset for free, which is awesome for us. Right. Like, Wi-Fi service is not going to be great you know, in this area of the park unless we embrace underseat. So like, left with the prospect of having really crappy service out there, we found a way. So I'm really pleased about that because this is the first time we've been able to do that.
0: Yeah, no, I've, I've sat in those bleachers before, and, and I know exactly the geography of it, and yeah. there really is no place to, to put one no, out Yeah, here.
1: yeah, yeah. So it really has been a game changer, too. It's really the first time I've been able to sit out there and have really, really good service. You know, we, we've been blessed. Like Verizon's been a really good cellular partner, mm-hmm. so we've always had a really solid DAS. But during Jewel events, you know, like I remember 2018, like the DAS just exploded. I mean, sure. we just could not keep up, you know, with the pace of content being pushed out of this park. And so, like, we really needed to get to a point, even for carrier offload, you know, where we had a whole park viable solution to allow the carriers to dump uh, traffic onto the Wi-Fi. It's been like a total game changer this year for us.
0: Yeah. I mean, the offload just seems like, you know, a necessary component. I, I don't care how, like yeah. you said. Oh, it, yeah. It no, and the matter. carriers will tell you, like, they absolutely need it.
1: Some local RF folks will say, we don't need it. If you get them behind closed doors, they'll say, yes, we need it. Like, we absolutely need it. So it's been a
0: godsend. That's great. You mentioned earlier on, you know, it was great. It was a good thing that you guys had started earlier. Um, I just want to address the supply chain issues because it seemed yeah. like you guys might have gotten in, into port ahead of the storm a little
1: yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, we did. We started, you know, the conclusion of the 19 season. A rip and replace. So all of those orders were kind of put in, you know, then COVID hit maybe you know, like what, like February or March of 2020. And, you know, we had all of the equipment for the most part on set, you know, except for like change orders that kind of came through. Additional switching was kind of held up. we were able to work around that, sure. you know, but we really kind of weren't held up. We're very lucky. We really weren't held up at all from a supply chain point of view. Again, except for the onesie Z type things that you know, we've been, but we have workarounds and, you know, Dan and MLB able to kind of poach gear from from other deployments that hadn't started yet or weren't right. like, you know, in the pipeline for four months to help us out so we can stay on track. So that was great. Let's talk a little bit about results then,
0: Yep. you know, now that you have the full park coverage. And, and I also want to separately get to a little bit later, the, yep. the theater and, and things outside, but let's just, inside the park now, you know, center field is solved. I'm guessing pretty much everywhere else has been solved pretty well too. Did you, did you go under seat in the whole bowl or was it a mix of um, overhead from there? We, we we
1: tried in our original design to get whole stadium under seat that was shot down, you know, both for kind of like historical purposes, but also like the constructability. So like foul pole to foul pole is Fenway. There Mm -hmm. really are literally Mm -hmm. some sections that are original to the stadium that have no accessibility from underneath. There's no crawl space. There's just no way to get there. Right. You know, so so we were left with sort of like, even if we were able to get kind of full approval, we, were, we would have been left with kind of like a fragmented underseat design. Mm. Just wasn't optimal. You know, so we kind of like, we kind of elected to to ditch the underseat part of the design, foul pole to foul pole. You know, which wasn't a huge deal, honestly, Paul, because we do like it, foul pole to foul pole, but we do have a lot of, overhead and other assets, you know, so like, yeah, I think, you know, like we, we carved out, you know, 50 or so openings into the cavity of our field wall and we yeah. recessed APs in those. It's a little unusual from a park design point of view that we're able to actually get that approved from the historical folks because the field wall is an original to Fenway. Mm-hmm. So we're able to, you know, like, you know, create openings for TVs and DAS antennas and you know, Wi-Fi APs. And so we have a lot of tech in our field wall. You know, so we're able to kind of like provide signal to those folks who are paying the most money very close to them, you know, without having to go under seat. We just added density in other areas that, you know, weren't very close to the field wall, but you know, not so close to the column the column mounted APs behind them in the grandstands.
0: Right. And then you had another big project just in case there wasn't enough to do. <laughs> you opened yeah. a little entertainment space. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? And you know yeah. sort of like yeah, the combined yeah, yeah. We challenge. Just, uh, we just opened a
1: 5,000-seat concert venue at the corner of Land's and Ipswich, called the MGM Music Hall. And it's incredible. If you haven't seen it, you have to come check it out, you know, because oh, yeah. it really is like a state-of-the-art um, entertainment venue, you know. And so during the design phase of Fenway, you know, we sort of incorporated the MGM Music Hall into the broader design. It wasn't obviously funded by the MWFI Consortium because it's not a part of the park technically, Mm-hmm. From a product design point of view, with the with RF folks we were working with, we always kind of incorporated that into our into our plan. So that was kind of like our internal phase three, even though it didn't really necessarily include MLB. It opened uh, the end of August. Full Wi-Fi in there, extreme obviously. Uh, we have Verizon four uh, G in there. AT and T and T Mobile are coming on soon. So it really is kind of like you know state of the art entertainment complex. So, m- more to manage, like you said, but it's a really really cool venue. It's gonna keep the neighborhood kind of hopping all year round. Hasn't been the case, you know, when, when the Red Sox season ends, it does tend to get quiet, quieter here in the neighborhood. Right. It's like, there's always something going on like almost every day, you know, so it's pretty
0: exciting for them. Yeah, no, no place in the winter to get sausage, your sausage sandwich with the onions on it. Coming up, for Fenway Park, the new Wi-Fi 6 network is just the beginning of a future filled with even more connectivity. More from Randy George after the break. This episode is also brought to you by Extonet Systems. Connecting customers quickly, securely, and reliably to networks and solutions is more crucial than ever. Extonet Systems powers the networks that make buildings run with secure 5G and fiber neutral host solutions found in thousands of locations, relied upon by some of the largest sports and entertainment venues in the country. With services that include infrastructure, indoor-outdoor mobility, private wireless networks, and enterprise connectivity, Extinet provides businesses with what they need to thrive. Visit extinet.com to learn more. That's E-X-T-E-N-E-T.com. I know we are mostly talking about Wi-Fi, but um, you know, it's also an interesting time for cellular, right? With, everybody moving to 5G, and it's a little bit tougher because I know there are some dad solutions coming out right now, but they're not fully baked, I don't think, yet. So has that been a a sort of twin challenge to keep that going on? Because you still need both, right? I mean, you can't. Yeah, no, we definitely need both.
1: Yeah, so Verizon is underway rolling out 5G, which will be multi-carrier capable. So I think that will be ready, at least as far as I know the schedule, and it will be ready for opening day next year.
0: Wow. You know, so
1: so we'll have our you know, hopefully we'll have our multi carrier capable 5G network ready for opening day. We'll have our Wi-Fi 6 deployment already kind of rocking and rolling, you know, so we're going to be lit, lit up like a Christmas tree here. It's going to be really, really awesome.
0: You know, well, so, and just
1: in time for sports betting to kind of drop here in
0: the state. Well, that was yeah. my, one of my next questions, right? Yeah, Do you guys yeah, have yeah, plans yeah. In, in that area or is there like a, a pathway to that yet?
1: yeah not really. I, you know, I have to brush up on the final bill that was passed, but what from what I understand, we're not really allowed to host a sports book here inside of Fenway Park, right you know, as a part of the final bill. Um, however, mGM Music Hall um is not technically part of Fenway, so it's possible. there may be some activations in there. Um, I don't know what that will look like, you know, but like longer term, where uh, we have a, a, a real estate development project kind of coming together in the neighborhood. And I, I shot you a link on that before, the Fenway Corners. So it's going to yeah. be a massive sort of redevelopment of a, a lot of the buildings around Fenway Park, You know, starting with this, um, this building that we're in here, um, is going to come down. It's almost like a whole city block of development that's playing, a couple million square feet of like mixed-use development. And the whole neighborhood is going to look drastically different, five to ten years. You know, I would not be surprised there was a sports betting lounge and other sort of like, you know, betting entertainment related establishments that find their way sure. know, around park. I don't know that for sure, but it's just a hunch, you know, Yeah. So no, the I, challenge I, I, is like, how do we expand what we built here in Fenway become sort mm-hmm. of like the center of the universe for all these businesses that, you know, end up locating in our backyard here.
0: Yeah. And keep everybody connected as they walk around outside, too. Right. Because, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's pretty cool that stadiums of all. The sizes and shapes are realizing that people want to do more than just come to the game and leave. They they want to yeah. experience, they want to hang out, you know, and, and I think it's always sort of been that way in Fenway and, and Wrigley to some extent, but, you know, to your point, um, you know, The more that you can have, the more things that can happen. No, totally. Identic- yeah. I mean, you look
1: at like what Gillette's done, like what Atlanta's done with the battery. You know, you have these like whole neighborhoods that sort of like pop up around the anchor tenant, which is always the sports venue. So we've just never had really the space here at Fenway to kind of pursue, you know, like a grand real estate sort of development opportunity. But it all just kind of came together recently, you know, with a partnership with our friends from Twins and WS Development, who did a ton of great work at the Seaport. Now we have this like really once in a lifetime opportunity to transform this neighborhood. It's already been incredibly transformed. I don't know if you've been here recently, but all this like, I mean, every day I walk outside and there's like, I feel like there's a new apartment building going up. There's like just a ton of residential going up around the park. It's high rise residential. So it really is like, it feels like Midtown Manhattan a little bit, you know, whereas like 20 years ago it was like outside of baseball games. It's like, yeah. you know, it just wasn't a
0: great place to be. You know, the return after COVID, there were a lot of uh, changes that happened maybe faster than some people wanted. Digital ticketing yeah. is one that comes into to yeah. mind and, and security yeah. and things like that. How, how are you guys doing on those fronts? And, and, you know, does the increased connectivity help that? Are you looking at other things like CBRS? From what we see, there's just we thought connectivity would never slow down. But this seems yeah. like a, a huge spike just to support. Uh, Even all just all the back office kind of stuff that's... Yeah, no, it's
1: crazy. Like COVID was like, it was like gasoline on our aspirations for the acceptance of digital ticketing. Before COVID, it was, I have to fact check myself here, but I feel like our take rate for digital was like 30% call. It wasn't like super high. I mean, it went to 100% overnight because it was required. Right. You know, and so to get like from there to where we are today, like never would have happened organically without COVID. Like we we went cashless too. So like that never would have happened. No. Tragic as COVID was from a technology point of view, it accelerated digital acceptance, you know, so many different platforms for our our fans. So like that part of it, I think was great. You know, from a CBRS point of view, I've always struggled, you know, because we are very lucky with the quality of our Wi-Fi deployment and the quality of our DAS, I've struggled finding kind of like the killer use case for CBRS yet. You know, right. So like as the neighborhood expands, I definitely think we would benefit from some CBRS like insofar as like fully mobile enabling POS terminals, taking them anywhere, you know, and making sure that, you know, interference is a non-issue for those things. And yeah. same thing with access control, even though we've done a good job like planning where we position access control turnstiles mm-hmm. around the park, you know, so they have great Wi-Fi coverage, you know, it would, it would open up new opportunities to to bring those devices and do access control and ingress in areas that maybe don't have great, you know, access. So I'm still looking for that killer use case for CBRS. It's like, it's on my mind, you know, mm-hmm. it's just not like a front burner issue.
0: Yeah. And I was thinking you might not have some of the other concerns that other venues do like big parking lots, you know, where yes. any kind of coverage, you know, even just the, the more expanded coverage of CBRS would be a great help. Yeah, um, no, definitely. Yeah. It You know, it seems like, you know, you, you guys are in a great spot right now. I mean, it well prepared. I know um, extremes already Looking at Wi-Fi six E, which is you know probably another great bump in in coverage. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you feel like you know you're, you're finally maybe ahead of the curve for for a change and and can do some more interesting type planning rather than I mean, God knows we don't want another pandemic. But, no, no, believe me, um, I'm just
1: happy know. that like our customers and our employees like a Wi-Fi is not a pain point anymore. Yeah. You know, so like I've never it's been a long time since we've actually kind of like actively promoted Wi-Fi because it's just like it is an expected service. It's been that way for a long time. But, you know, to a degree, it's not awesome. Like I do hear about that. I really yeah. like I can count yeah. on one hand the number of complaints I've had this year. And it was always like another problem. It wasn't really Wi-Fi. Right. You know? And it's, like, it's really cool. Like, you know, again, like this is the first year we've actually had carrier offload. It's really cool to see the take rate of Wi-Fi so high never seen. It's always like, because people are automatically authenticated. So if I have 25,000 people coming through, like I've got 20,000 on the Wi Fi. Yeah. you know, that's like, that's really cool. So it's great to see the environment, not skip
0: a beat with all of those users on the platform. Well, and, and I think it's, it's, that's like the nirvana you're looking forward to from the user side, right? You don't yeah. want to have people, they shouldn't have to care whether they're on Wi Fi or cellular. It should just be the best connection. And, no, you, totally. need yeah. have, you need to have that for that to happen, right? I mean,
1: no, and it's cool. I'll tell you, it's cool to see the t- kind of telemetry from our customers too. You know, like we don't really track a whole lot as it relates to the Wi-Fi experience. Like we're not marketing it to customers. We don't have a captive portal. Like we just want people to use it. It's a it's a service. It's there if you want to use it great. If not, that's cool. But it is like, you know, from an aggregated, from an analytics point of view, it is cool to see, you know, like what sources of social media people prefer, or like what sports books people prefer, you know, yeah. again, like we don't really use that information for anything whatsoever, but they're data points that, that may be interesting at, to us at some point. You know, so so it's great to see all of that cellular traffic on the environment because it's giving me a much more complete picture of what what is real. Well, that's great. So,
0: um, yeah. uh, that'll do it for us, uh, Randy. Thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, can't yeah, wait to come right? out and see a game again and uh, get a sausage sandwich because I, I can smell those things right now. Oh, don't tempt me. <laughs> Right? And, and uh, you'll see a concert at the new venue, too. I mean, it just. Yeah, definitely, yes. Please
1: ping me and take me up on an offer to come be our guest here and uh, take a look at what we have going, because it's,
0: uh, it's pretty cool. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank the sponsors of Stadium Tech Report, whose support enables us to continue our efforts to bring our objective, unbiased, and unpaid for content to the Stadium Technology Marketplace. Our supporters include our co-producing sponsor, AmpThink, our survey sponsor, Verizon, our podcast title sponsors, x Systems and MatSing, and our publication sponsors, which include American Tower, Cox Business Hospitality Network, and Boingo. The Stadium Tech Report podcast is brought to you by Stadium Tech Report, the go-to publication for stadium technology news, analysis, and commentary technical production for the Stadium Tech Report podcast is led by creative director Dan Grimsley and digital designer Jackie Wen. Web and design work is by David Farris and John David. All contents of the Stadium Tech Report podcast are copyright Stadium Tech Report. Audio, video, and print content may not be reused without the express written consent of Stadium Tech Report.